Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone. We're back for episode 11 of the Impact Investing Podcast. We've had a couple of weeks break while we had some holidays. I went to France. Tom went to Boston. Boston, USA, not Boston, England. (laughs) We're back now. Um, And... This episode, we're basically going to take some questions. We've had some questions, email questions, questions from the team, and maybe one or two that I threw in. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, we're just going to run through some of the questions we've had in and basically make it a, a Q&A episode. Um, but before we get stuck in, just a reminder, if you've got questions for future episodes or any other feedback, it's podcast at circa5000.com. Great. Let's get stuck in. First question we received, um, and it touches on um, one of the previous episodes or some of the topics we've discussed before, but how can I spot a greenwashed investment? How can we spot that, Matthew? Well, I mean, I think we, when, we, when we spoke about this a, a, f- a few uh, weeks ago or even maybe a few months ago, I mean, I think f- the easiest and quickest way to spot, to spot an investment that might be greenwashed is is normally they will be branded as as, as something green. Mm. They will have a they will have a green related uh, name to the product. It yeah. will be a you know a climate change fund or a biodiversity fund or something like that. Um, but the quickest way is then to look at what that fund is holding. So the top ten holdings. Every fund publishes the at least the top ten holdings. Most will publish yeah. the full list if they're a if they're a if they're a listed fund like an ETF. Yeah. But I mean you can you can take a quick look at what that that fund holds and see whether those companies sound like they mm. are uh, contributing to the issue that the fund is branded as. And I think that yeah. is the quickest and easiest way. Yeah. So if you see uh, uh, a holding from our friends at ExxonMobil, um, <laughs> then it's probably a greenwashed investment. So it, the key words to look out for, so look at the top 10 always, but if it says climate, if it says sustainable, if it says ESG, do not mistake ESG with impact investing, with directly investing in companies solving world problems. It, it means something entirely different as we discussed before. So those are some of the key buzzwords to look at in the title of the fund. Um, but always, no matter what the title of the fund, no matter the credentials of the of the, of the the fund manager or whoever's, whoever's made the fund, look at the top 10, um, top five or top 10, whatever's available. And that should tell you all you need to know. And if you've never heard of the companies before, it's likely to be a good fund <laughs> as a rule of thumb. But always always have a quick Google of the top holdings and see if you think it stacks up roughly. And then you can do some more investigating, but that will probably take care of 90% of the cases. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the other thing as well is, I mean, with an, with an ETF fund, which is an exchange-traded fund, obviously they track an index. Yeah. If you wanted to dig into into the rationale as to, to maybe why, why does this fund hold these things when it's badged as you know something else. Yeah, you you could actually look at the index methodology. Yeah, and that that way you will see how they've arrived at the holdings. That yeah, they've yeah, yeah, got because the index methodology is just really it's just a, a set of rules. Yeah. of how companies are selected. So you know with with ESG funds and there's this there's this phraseology that's come in now, which is like you know is it light green or dark green? Mm. As in how heavy how heavy to yeah, a yeah. to a sustainable cause does the fund go? I mean you can look at and say well. You know, you you could get to a a situation where a fund is branded as climate change, but the methodology does something like takes the 
the 95% best companies from a from mm-hmm. the S&P 500 or something like that. Yeah. So therefore it just it's excluding the 5% of the worst companies, keeping the 95% of the the best which may be measured on say something like carbon emissions or uh, just a generic ESG score, but it won't it will be badged as climate change because there's something in the methodology that's a slight nod to it, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's definitely not sort of a an active contributor to to solving that problem. So yeah. again, as you say, it goes back to it goes back to the difference between ESG and impact, um, and especially where you've got these what you'd call a thematic ESG fund. Mm. So it's it's badged as you know a sustainable theme. I think you've really you've really got to look at that top ten, but then. If you want to understand how you're thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. how the hell have we got to this these yep. holdings? Then scrutinize the methodology because it will normally tell you how, and it will it will give them the excuse as to how they can brand it that way. Yeah. So you know, with all these things, it's not these these greenwashed funds aren't normally just an out and out lie. They're yes, not normally correct, they're yeah. not normally just well we'll call it that, but really we'll just invest in yeah, the general yeah, stock yeah. market. Yep. There's normally some element of minor screening or something that's gone on in the methodology that will trim it or yep. tilt it that way yeah great leaving greenwashing now number two um the question that we had is uh why is liquidity important if i'm a long-term investor see i see what you're doing here by the way you've taken control of the questions so that i have to answer them all. You're, you're, you're the resident expert in liquidity <laughs> so i mean so so this you know why is why is liquidity important if you're a long-term investor it's a good question right because yeah. we go on about well invest and then hold that Forever, hold those yeah. investments for as long as possible and that's the best way to make money mm-hmm. so if you're holding uh you know investments for a really long time then why do you need them to be liquid and by liquid it basically means how easy is it to buy or sell yep. um you know so you have things like you know private equity funds where once you've assigned your money to that fund you know you normally have to be a high net worth sophisticated investor to buy these type of things but you know there is no there's no secondary market there's no there's no market to go and sell your your shares easily anyway yep. in those funds um something like a stock you know they they trade on days when the markets are open so normally yep. working days and you can you will there will always be a buy and a sell price for those stocks and you can always buy or sell stocks on those market normally yeah um so you know why is that important well i suppose if you're someone who's building wealth mm-hmm. you need to be able to buy yep. investments so mm-hmm. you know and we talk about the importance of of regular Yes. Um, investing. Um, and I suppose being able to buy funds or, or, or less so stocks on a regular basis is an important aspect to it. So I'd say, say that. And I suppose there's a, there's a comfort in knowing that the, 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 the things you're investing in are liquid. So yep. that if you need to, yeah. you can sell. Yep. Um, and I think it's probably just more of a, a transparency factor as well. Mm, you know, yeah. you can talk about things like an illiquidity premium for for going yeah, into yeah. sort of non-listed, higher risk investments. But you know, often they're, they're probably less transparent than, than yeah. what those funds are investing in. It's it's harder to access your money if you need to, and you know, it makes your time horizon less certain. Yeah, you know, you 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 could be invested for seven years. You could be invested for ten. You could be invested for twelve. So yeah, um, liquidity. As well, just as a sort of first-time investor looking to maybe, or, or just you know, normal person looking to save for their own future, then I suppose liquid investments tend to be more vanilla. Yeah, they tend to just you know, you can buy sort of normal, averagely risked 
funds and things like that. So, yep. I mean, it's not the most important factor, I would say, maybe, yeah. but I would say it's, uh, you know, you probably don't want to be looking into the more unusual, exotic, higher-risk, non, non-liquid funds yeah. if you're just, a you know, a normal person yeah. looking to invest for their own so, money. Even if you're investing for the long term, which is the only investing we, we kind of talk about, um, there's going to come a time where you probably want to sell something. Yeah. Um, whether that's all of it or a portion of it for whatever reason. And at that moment, you want it to be liquid, ideally, because you don't have to go through a process of, of waiting to be able to sell yeah. it, finding a buyer, et cetera. So that's the additional risk you assume if you go with illiquid investments is getting in, but getting out whenever you want to get out. Yeah, I suppose the other thing as well, if you think about your investments, you know, normally, certainly what we do is, you know, you're not investing in one fund. So you're not you're not putting all your money into one fund. You've got yeah. you've got a, a portfolio. So you've got a composition, maybe five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is. You you may at some point want to rebalance that portfolio. Mm. So if you bought you know uh, I don't know five funds and they were all twenty percent each of your portfolio, one does really well. It mm. suddenly shoots up in value. It may become a massive proportion of your portfolio. Now at some point you may want to bring that back into balance. So you take your gains effectively. You sell the a good performing fund and you channel that money into ones that maybe haven't done so well and this could be cyclical it could be some other thing. yeah and you effectively start to rebalance and that that's an exercise you might want to do and if obviously if you're in a liquid funds you can't easily trim a portion of your holding and yeah. allocate it to something else so there's there's various different reasons but i think it's it's always safer as a as a sort of what i'd say as a normal person investing your own yeah. money to just stick with funds that are generally liquid i would say yeah kind of relates to the third question which is convenient an element of it does it's almost as if we planned this how can i tell if an investment is risky or not wow and again again it's a kind of worms you got in there first that's the question um you know I, i suppose it's good to just think about what what we mean by yeah by risk and in and in what we'd call proper investing which is we we call you know stock market investing Risk is really a, a proxy for what you what you'd say is volatility, which is mm. how how much your investment value moves around day yeah. to day. So you know, could, could it go up three percent one day, down five percent the next day, and it's that sort of moving around which makes investing different from holding cash. Where obviously, if you've got cash in an account, it doesn't go up, or well, not by very much anyway. But it also doesn't go down. Yes. So you don't have to put up with these with this volatility of your investments. The that, that's what I would say, what I mean by risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also another another bit of risk, which is you put your you put your money into something which is just a no hope. Yeah. So, you know, you put your money into a scam or, mm. you know, a weird crypto or whatever it might be. And these things are just, you know, illogical, no basis for their valuation and likely to just drop in value. That yeah. is a risky thing to do. It's, yeah. just, it's just a sort of, you know, it's just a, a guaranteed way to probably lose a lot of money. Yeah. The, but- how to tell if an investment is is risky? Um, yeah, I suppose it's looking at how, in in the traditional sense, it's about how volatile it is. Mm-hmm. But but you know, typically in normal investing, you'd consider stocks and shares to be riskier than bonds and cash. Yep. and that's sort of the rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take a higher risk position and you're at a longer term position, you would hold more stocks than you would cash or yeah. bonds and that's yeah. that's basically the way you balance it yeah i think the, 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 the other angle or the other layer to the question is um 
what you've seen recently is the unwinding of a lot of highly risky investments that people have made over the past two years. Yeah, they've the, A lot of people went straight from cash into things that we would have always deemed to be exceptionally risky, random cryptocurrencies, random individual single line stocks, so not in an ETF, not in a diversified portfolio. And that's because they, d- they didn't appreciate the layer of risk on top of return. Yeah. So people were judging everything on potential return outcome and that as the only layer, but they weren't judging it on uh, the given level of risk they would have to take for that return and the likely spectrum of outcomes, yeah. which is why we always preach long-term diversified investing using ETFs that have embedded diversification in them. And so what you've seen over the past few years, is a lot of people who are new to investing flood into these highly risky investments that they didn't really think were highly risky, but now they do understand because yeah. the market has corrected. A lot of the crypto uh, uh, coins and, uh, and, and instruments have corrected. And a lot of you know everyday people are sitting on uh, less than ideal outcomes. And that's why even when the market's booming and even when these things are, are kind of going up, it, it still pays to diversify and yeah. help spread your risk in that sense. Yeah, that, that, that diversify that diversification point is 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 an important one because you make your investments inherently more risky mm-hmm. if you're if you're only holding a few single line stocks, for example, you're yeah. highly concentrated in say five stocks, and then your you know your fate is is in the hands of the the success or failure of those five companies. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're buying funds, you obviously automatically spread, so you've spread your risk across. The success or failure of, of multiple, multiple, probably in most cases, hundreds of companies. So yeah. I think that's the other thing. I think the other way you should view risk as well is, you know, if you're in a standard, normal, sensible investment portfolio, like we've just described of, you know, funds balanced, balanced across, you know, equity and bonds, maybe depending on your outcome. But if you're thinking really long term, mm. go back to what I was saying about volatility, that short term volatility really shouldn't concern you. Yeah, yeah. You know, you should be thinking about, well, is it really risky if, if my portfolio goes up or down in any given day if mm. I'm thinking 10 years into the future or 20 years into the future? No. I would say where your real risk comes in then is, are you going to sit in cash for 20 years when inflation's at whatever the hell it's at now? You know, yeah. Yeah. definitely double digits. Yeah. Um, and cash rates are at 1, 1.5%. Yeah. Base rates at, what, 1.75%, whatever it is. I yeah. think, you know, I think that is... That is a really sort of, over the long term, that is a, a real risky way to not give your money the opportunity to grow and, yeah. and compound over time. So yeah. risk is a really weird subject because people who've not invested before naturally feel really nervous and uncomfortable about putting their money into something that moves around. Mm. But I think you just have to zoom out and think really long term. Yeah. And then you think about these other factors of interest rate versus inflation versus what return you could make in a in a balanced portfolio. Yeah. And then suddenly the, the risk dynamic changes because with that time element added in, yeah. Suddenly it's it just it looks it looks more risky to stay in cash for the long term. Yeah, it does. One final comment on that and it relates to um liquidity and how those two things can interact. To use the crypto example again, there was a bunch of examples over the past few years where people couldn't get out of those cryptos when they wanted to. Yeah. Because there was a lack of liquidity in those instruments. And that's how a lack of liquidity can contribute to higher risk. Yeah. So th- those two those two uh, finance terms, liquidity and risk, are inherently interlinked in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, speaking of time horizons. So you're back oh in again God, with the next just, jump. So I, I, I can have a go at this first and then you can correct me after I've, after I've butchered it. Um, question number four, should I stop paying into my pension to save cash? Um, 
My yeah. initial guttural response is always a no. Obviously, that depends on your individual circumstances, and there may be a there may be a reason to stop doing that. But I think there's a lot of reasons to to not do that. Um, first of all, there are there are there are tax advantages to your to to paying into your pension. It's taken out generally, you know, pre income tax. Um, so your contributions are pre income tax. Um, the second thing is contributions from your employer too. In the UK, we're all now in defined contribution pension schemes. So you're contributing, and your employer's contributing. Um, the, the other thing is just the sheer time horizon and the compounding effect. It's a really disciplined way of building, you know, uh, wealth for yourself in the future. That's what a pension is. Yeah. It's, it's your money to earn you an income and, uh, and afford you a decent retirement. So the more you can do upfront now, young and stick to that, the, the earlier or the earlier you can, you can retire or the better your t- retirement can be. So in a way at, I've actually had this conversation with a bunch of people just anecdotally over the past few months because of the cost of living crisis. I think people are looking at where can they, you know, bring more money into the in, into their pockets each month. I think that has to be the last place you look because of what it can provide for you in the future. And I don't remember ever having a conversation with anybody that said, "Oh, I regret putting as much as I did into my pension." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's it, really. I think I think you know, going back to when we did the episode about when's the best time to invest, and we said about budgeting and obviously at times where prices of everything seem to be going up and you know wages don't necessarily follow i think it's 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 tempting to look at your pay slip and maybe go well there's a line that's going into a place where i don't see that money mm. you know there's a line called pension contributions which yeah. i don't i don't see and i actually quite like that money in my wages every month um you know i just think it's going back to what you're saying about that compounding thing it, it's it's a pension is obviously the wrapper itself is not subject to tax. Mm. So when you're putting those contributions in and your employer's putting extra money in, that's not coming out of your wages. Yeah. That's coming from the employer. Yeah. They have to contribute that separately. That that money then gets put into a into an account, which can grow and grow and grow free of any tax. So you're not paying any yeah. tax on any of the growth in yeah. that account. Obviously, when you then get to pensionable age and you're taking the money out, you then are subject to tax on the, on the money out. But it's growing in this tax-free mm-hmm. environment. There's no what you'd call tax drag. And it's just, you can't access it. Yeah. So it's just, it's just left to compound. So, you know, every pound in your pension is now is just, you know, going to grow over time. And the time horizons are so long that, you know, it, it's just really powerful. I think, yeah, yeah I think the other thing that you, you could perhaps do on pensions, and this is maybe a slight tangent thing, but wouldn't want to miss an opportunity to talk about our pensions. Is that <laughs> you know, if you're if you're, is just be aware of what you've got in pensions. Mm. You know, I think most people are surprised when they look at find out what your current workplace pension is connected yep. with your current job. Find out what it is. Look at the amount that's in it because I bet you it's more than you probably realise if yep. you if you don't know. And then the other thing is if you've ever had old jobs, is Become aware of those pensions and, um, you know, see how much you've got in there because it's one way in a time where everyone's probably feeling poorer than they did mm. to actually feel a bit richer. Yeah. Because I bet you you've got pensions out there that you fully you don't fully know the amount that's in there. And actually just realising that, understanding that, and then thinking about what that might mean for you in the future yeah. is a great thing. And here's the plug. <laughs> Circa 5,000, we do a pension tracing service. So if you know the name of your old employer, but you don't you don't know what the pension scheme was, we can we can help you find it basically. So yeah. go to circa5000.com for that and you can <clears throat> you'll be and go to the pensions page and you'll be able to find details on how we can help you uh 
yeah. do that consolidation. By the way, we can fi- help you find the pensions. There's no, you don't have to do anything after yeah, that. It's free. There's no obligation to do anything. And I had, to com- had a conversation with someone last night who'd done just that at one of the places I used to work at. And uh, he couldn't believe what he, what he had just languishing there and he didn't realize it. So yeah. that's the power of the pension. It can build up. Um, and, uh, and ideally you contribute more to it, not the reverse. Yeah. Final question for today um, is uh, question number five. Will the new prime minister in the UK have any effect on my investments? In Liz, we trust. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want the short or long answer? Uh, I want more jokes, please. Uh, Both, please. I've used all my jokes. So, um, I mean, the short answer is probably not. uh, Not a significant, you know, the the individual prime minister doesn't really have that much of an effect on, on... (laughs) <laughs> on anything, no, on, on, on your on your investment. So, like, I mean, it depends what you're invested in, right? But um, if you know, if you're all in UK bonds, then maybe. But yeah. uh, uh, if you're in a sort of diversified global, globally diversified portfolio, then not really. Yeah. Um, the reason is, is it you know, you're you've got exposures to lots of different companies in lots of different countries in lots of different currencies. Yeah. So you're not really hugely dependent on the fate of the UK yeah. stock market no. or the UK economy. No. And therefore, you know, there's some there's some economic challenges ahead for yeah. for new the new PM, but I don't think uh that really should start you should really focus in on them as yeah. as linking them directly to how your investments might perform or otherwise otherwise. Yeah. I suppose the one area where there might be an effect is on the value of the pound versus other currencies. Mm-hmm. And as you found out when you went to the US, the pound has, you know, been devalued recently. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, you, your pounds buy fewer dollars, for yeah. example. Um, and, you know, where that could have an effect is if you're buying US-denominated investments, then they may be more expensive in, yeah. in, that, in that relative way between the currencies. Um, or if you've held... Sterling denominated investments. Sorry, if you've held US denominated investments and then translated those back to sterling, you may have had like a currency gain. Yes, um, yeah. over over recent months. But uh, really, I think you've got to get into this mindset of the UK economy and what's in the UK press. And obviously, in 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 Britain, people probably. Maybe, maybe have like an inflated view of the importance of the UK economy yeah. on a global stage. You know, we're not that significant and we're not that, and we're probably less significant than we were. Yeah. Um, and as an investor, if you're globally diversified, then any politician in the world, maybe with the exception of US president yeah. or the Chinese, yeah. uh, then, you know, probably doesn't have that much effect. And maybe the, maybe the Russians more recently as yeah. well. But Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if you are if you're a global investor, the global economy is what you should be looking at. But if you look within that, it's the US, China, and you know maybe a little bit of Russia recently. But mainly the US, China are the ones to look at in terms of how your investments may be impacted. Um, but the, the UK is a small part of the global economy, a small part of the global you know um, investment landscape, and so um, uh, whichever way it goes, it'll probably have a limited impact on your on your individual global portfolio as long as it is diversified. Yeah, I mean, obviously. That's not to say that the UK government and the UK Prime Minister can't have an effect on you as an individual financially. Yeah, of course, yeah. Because obviously what the what the 
proposing to do or doing with the energy price cap will obviously affect people. Yeah. Um, and they can do things like change the ISA allowance or, mm. you know, change the rate that you get taxed on your investments or change, you know, different tax incentives to put in your pension or whatever. So there's all that type of thing that can yeah. be affected, sort of the nuts and bolts of investing and, and maybe how rich or poor you feel. That yeah. can be directly affected. But in terms of the performance of your investment portfolio, mm-hmm. if you're globally, globally diversified, then not really is the answer. Yeah. Well, that was all the questions we had um, that we wanted to cover today. Um, we've got some more questions that we'll probably look to cover on a future episode, but we'd love to hear um, your additional questions that you'd like us to answer. So podcast at circa5000.com. Um, please send us them and we'll look to do another Q&A episode at some point in the over the next few weeks. And leave us a review. A positive one, ideally. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.